Welcome to the Blue Rose Task Force Podcast, where we look deeply into Twin Peaks as a whole, one episode at a time, using the full scope of the show Twin Peaks and all its official media. We don't use the word canon, but we consider all official releases important because Lynch and Frost have approved their presence. And we welcome all input into the collective consciousness that is the Twin Peaks community and wider universe. This podcast is a watch-along podcast for those who've seen all of Twin Peaks, including the third season, which we do consider as we go along. And today, we're not actually watching anything. It's a mailbag episode. So, uh, yeah, we'll be we'll be addressing topics covered on the show, uh, on the Blue Rose Task Force show, through the, uh, the first third of season two. So we'll start off with a couple of Apple Podcast reviews that came in. Uh, the first one is from DRelicked88. It says, Call in the Force. Blue Rose Task Force podcast is the perfect companion piece for Twin Peaks fans of all levels. They go beyond just episode recaps and look at the series as a whole. Theories and analysis of all the media. Give them a listen and subscribe now, which I appreciate. And um, the next review from Boy Faraday, uh, it also is uh, fairly similar. It says, a great addition to... Uh, to rewatching says really in-depth work. I was looking for commentary that was geared to people doing a rewatch and this is perfect. So yeah, I mean the, the mission statement of the show is, uh, is getting noticed and, um, I appreciate you talking about it too, folks. Um, and then the, the last review is from in parentheses. I love it. Close parentheses cat. And Kat says, I decided to give Twin Peaks a watch when it was streaming. I'm a Gen Xer whose parents thought Twin Peaks was too weird, so I never even thought to watch it. Turns out, it's just my kind of weird. I have no one close who enjoys it, so it's fun to listen and agree and disagree with theories, symbolisms, and such. And I gotta interrupt, Kat, because... I am in the exact same boat. I was basically on a Twin Peaks island, and I didn't realize quite, you know, where the fandom even was uh, for, you know, like, what is that, over, <laughs> well, over 15 years. And um, it, it's just really nice to have found the community in the first place. Okay, so Kat continues. I have abuse connections with Laura and Sarah Palmer, so it can be hard to listen and watch certain parts. I think the podcast does a good job being sensitive to both the head-on portrayal of abuse and also the cringeworthy portrayals of insensitivity to certain groups. It's good to openly discuss these matters so that we do not repeat them and we take responsibility for not thinking things through when they should have been as a culture. And uh, Kat, thank you. I, um, you know, I mean, <laughs> as a, you know, I mean, <laughs> I'm a, you know, middle-aged white guy and, uh, I do get nervous about that kind of stuff. Cause you know, I mean, I, I grew up where, you know, I'm quote unquote the default or whatever. And, uh, yeah, it's, I, I'm glad that I'm noticing enough of it to, to be called out in a good way about it. So thank you. And uh, Kat continues, thanks for giving me a way to look at the show in new ways. After today's episode, I can't help but fantasize how the backstory would look if Sarah Palmer and Beth had a witchy backstory. Man, I really wish that they had run with that. And you know what? Me too, Kat. 
And uh, Kat closes out with cheers, keep it up, and P.S. I wish your sometimes partner was able to be on more. I like her insight. And you and me both. But, you know, Elle's busy, and uh, I really hope that you got to listen to last week's episode because she just brought it. And, you know, hopefully we start doing a few more of those, um, and we won't have to wait about 10 episodes for the next one. So, uh, yeah, we're working on it. All right, next up, we got something from our uh, Ruminations Radio Network Gmail, and it's from Jennifer. And um, the, the title of the email is Blue Rose Task Force slash The Arm. And Jennifer says, maybe I'm a little late for this comment. However, I'll add it because so far I haven't heard anyone mention it. Mike says that when he saw the face of God, he removed the arm. There is a verse in the Bible that I feel is relevant. Matthew 5.30 says, And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. I'm paraphrasing, of course, and it is his left arm, which, is, which historically has been used to signify bad or evil. For example, weed is sometimes called left-handed cigarettes. That's just uh, the thought I had. I thought it was interesting. Now, I will say that Lynch is absolutely familiar with the Bible. I mean, you know, he opened up a page to it and, um, you know, found found a, uh, a verse that made him connect to, I believe it was Eraserhead? I, I can't. <laughs> One of his movies is his most spiritual. And, you know, he, uh, he definitely talks about how... Um, one of them can be decoded with a uh, verse from the Bible. And uh, you know what? Maybe it's Inland Empire. <laughs> oh, boy, I record these things early, folks. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, it does make sense that there would be um, a certain amount of reversing it, too. You know, it's like Lynch being familiar enough, but then, you know, um, making the opposite happen with the left instead of the right, that kind of thing. Like, that totally fits within the wheelhouse of um, Lynch and, you know, the dichotomy of good versus evil and everything else. So, uh, yeah, I think, uh, Jennifer, you might be on to something. All right, next up, we are going to look at the um, the Facebook group Twin Peaks Between Two Worlds, and um, Paul Wellington uh, shared an exchange with me on that. And um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chop up the thread, um, but he he said... I always love how you catch the storytelling devices in each episode that are used in multiple ways to reinforce that episode's key point. Most of the time, I never took note of these, and as soon as you point them out, they are obvious. As a writer, I use the technique myself, but I never see it in these episodes. And I really love the observation you made about the two identity reveals in this episode. One, that Leland is actually Bob. Two, that Tojimura is actually Catherine. And, um, you know, me being John, I'll interrupt and say this was in relation to the, uh, the Killer Reveal episode. And Paul continues, But those two occurrences, to me, are meant to clearly make one point that Leland is possessed by a killer demon, that the demon is the real character. However, you continue throughout your analysis of the episode to say things like, Bob did this, but Leland did that, in the murder sequence. No, it's just Bob. It's a killer demon that enjoys the suffering of its victim and its host. Your take on Leland would be as if you also said, Catherine does this, 
but then Tojimura does that. When, of course, there is no Tojimura, there is only Catherine. Catherine laughs and says, look, dummy, it's me. As soon as Catherine is revealed, no one says, whoa, I wonder what Tojimura is feeling now. And in that contract signing scene, no one later wonders, is that Catherine or is it Tojimura? There is no Tojimura, there is just Catherine. Just as, at least in the murder scenes, there is no Leland, there is only Bob. He even looks at the camera, looks at us, laughs as he shows his true face. Look, dummy, it's me. You state that the moment Leland looks in the mirror and sees Bob was the moment Bob took over. To me, it's very clear that actually that is just the moment that the show displays for us the reality, the hidden creature inside Leland controlling him, wearing him like a suit. Just as Bob has had Leland put on a suit for the planned murder, it is almost a cliché in visual media to have a reflection portray the true person. It is a long-standing method to portray a hidden fact visually. At the least, Bob was in complete control as he drugged Sarah, put on the gloves, and straightened his tie. At the most, Bob was in control most if not all of the time. To think otherwise is to think that both the killer demon Bob and Leland the host he possesses are evil, sadistic murderers. And as you note storytelling devices in a story, what would be the point of that? This evil man is possessed by an evil demon? Dramatically, those two things would cancel each other out. Storytelling-wise, what's the point? Yes, there could be an interesting story that is just an evil man is insane and thinks he's an innocent possessed by a demon. No, wait, that's actually been done a lot and is almost a cliché. That's not the story of Twin Peaks. In Twin Peaks, the show, there are clearly many supernatural elements. Bob is one of them. It is not a fictional world made of delusional people who hallucinate the supernatural. It's the story of people dealing with the supernatural. And of course, it's not a story about the supernatural as if it's a real thing. The supernatural is used for overall entertainment and as a metaphor for real-world problems and crimes. Bob is a metaphor for sadistic abuse and murder, but he is not a metaphor in his own story. I know that in uh, Twin Peaks fandom, there is a large contingent, I don't think it's half, but it's very vocal, that believes in Leland's culpability. I think this is because the crimes against Laura are so heinous that it makes many people uncomfortable to excuse the father, even though he is a fictional character. And uh, I'm going to interrupt as your uh, podcast host. You know, like from uh, from 2015 on, you know, I I see what you're saying, but you know, in 1990, it was a more uncomfortable thing to entertain than it could be Leland. All right, back to Paul. Because in the real world so many men get away with this horrible crime, people unconsciously rebel against the notion that Leland is not the criminal. Bob is. That Leland would somehow get away with it if the story absolved his guilt and stated that it was actually Bob. Some of these fans even go so far as to say that even in the story, Bob is only a metaphor conjured by Laura as a coping mechanism for her abuse, and or it's a projection made by Leland, and 
that Leland's magical projection abilities are so powerful that not only does he see the metaphorical Bob, but so does Laura, so does Ronette, so does Maddie, and so, do, and so does Cooper. After being in Twin Peaks maybe three nights and being Leland's presence maybe an hour? Even though in Firewalk With Me, Laura spells out that it's a demon and wants to possess her, and briefly does when, from Harold's point of view, her face flashes with the essence of Bob, and for a longer, more horrific minute in the deleted scene under the fan. Now, again, we could go with the, um, with the angle that, you know, Laura could be a dreamer, the dreamer, you know, where her POV is the filter that we see the show through, kind of like how, um, how John Thorne describes um, seeing season three through the perspective of Dale Cooper. You know, was this intended at the time? No. But, you know, that that's kind of where I kind of come down um, with, like, explaining <laughs> what the... Uh, you know, the current thought process is, is that, you know, Paul's probably talking about. Anyway, back to Paul. Even though in the final interrogation death scene, Bob clearly speaks of Leland as a hapless victim he has enjoyed tormenting, that he will make Leland remember what was done, that Leland was a host Bob will leave when he pulls the ripcord to escape, and in Leland's final death confession, you know, in quotes confession, he even says, they made me do things, not, I was an evil abuser myself, and these evil spirits just watched. You know, sure, this could be the further rantings of a delusional man, but what would be the point, Paul asked. And he continues, the end of Fire Walk With Me further spells it out. Laura is dead, so it isn't her delusion. Leland is in the lodge, hanging in the air, a hapless puppet controlled by Bob and perhaps the other lodge creatures. To me, it is wrong to say that there is a Bob and there is a Leland, but somehow Leland is responsible. If Bob is a possessing, corrupting demon and he's been in Leland since he was a child, then however you define Leland, he was an innocent. If there is a part of a 35-year-old man that is corrupted, it is not his fault he has been corrupted by a demon in him all of his life. Here is what I see as, a, as an analogy that clearly makes the case. In the movie The Exorcist, would anyone saying these things about Leland also blame the child Regan for, the demon in the, for what the demon in the movie did? You know, two or three murders beating her mother, in parentheses. Of course they wouldn't. No one would say she was actually responsible or that it was revealing her true nature. The doctors and psychiatrists and even the first priest who said there is no demon, it is just Reagan being crazy, are shown to be wrong in the story. It was clearly a story of a young girl possessed by a demon and the demon doing bad things that she would never do. There is no confusion of identity in the story. If you want, you can argue what it means in reality, what the story is a metaphor for in real life, but the meaning within the story is completely unambiguous. And the author believed in actual demon, uh, demons, God and the devil. I'm assuming he's talking about Lynch in that case. Though, you know, Frost comes out and, and uh, says, you know, or Leland could be batshit crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, like... Um, uh, both both uh, Lynch and Frost kind of come at it from different ways, and I kind of think that's kind of what's happening here. 
Yeah, so Paul just closes it off and says, you know, um, and that's how I see the story of Leland and Bob in Twin Peaks, at least prior to the return, which I think is enthralling fun that is, in the end, undecipherable. Anyhow, I continue to enjoy, uh, to greatly enjoy your podcast. Thanks. And, you know, Paul, thank you, too. And, um, yeah, I think, um, I think back in 1990, like, that was, that was the viewpoint that won out. But, like, there's still technically room for culpability here because, I mean, if nothing else, um, you know, Reagan and the Exorcist. And, you know, honestly, I think that um, the Exorcist was kind of an imprint for this sort of story um, that, you know, Twin Peaks was kind of modeling after. But, um, you know, like it, it's, um, you know, it was it was an easy way to close things off. But you got to figure that, uh, and I think Lynch does this in Fire Walk With Me, that like, you know, if um, if you have a possessing demon in you as a child, you know, it's like, after a certain point, like, I, I don't know. Um, it, it just seems like Leland's more involved um, in Fire Walk with me. So that, like, even the guy, even the creator who believes in God and demons and angels um, doesn't necessarily um, give Leland a complete pass. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, in the show, I think Paul's reading is absolutely spot on for what we were supposed to get out of it and probably about as deeply as, um, you know, Frost and Engels and Peyton really um, wanted to look at it at the time as far as, like, you know, here's how we're going to end it, here's the message. Because, like, in, ep in, um, in episode 17, which I'll be covering next week, um, you know, Cooper's just going to come out and say pretty much exactly what Paul just said. And, um, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, TV was a little bit simpler back then and uh, didn't need to go, like, deeply into the characters. You know, I mean, it, it you know, it, it's it's the difference between, um, you know, like the, the Simpsons. Yeah, <laughs> like that, that's a show from 1990. You know, it's like every character needs to be the same at the end of the episode so that they could be, you know, the same at the beginning of the next episode. You know, it's like the, the psychoanalysis, et cetera, really wasn't a thing back then because continuity um, wouldn't really allow that with standard television. You know, it's, it's not the days of The Sopranos and Breaking Bad where, you know, like you can watch somebody kind of grow into something else you know it's like we don't we don't have to look at the um the subtlety of you know leland's evolution you know into adulthood with a demon in him yeah <laughs> uh so yeah i i think um i don't know it's it it's a complicated thing and nobody can actually win the argument uh because i don't think there is an official way to win the argument. Uh, but yeah, like I, I, I get where you're coming from, Paul. And uh, yeah, I, I think um, I, as of right now, I think the show is totally backing you up. Now, kind of on the other side of the fence, we've got uh, Ken Bays who communicated with me over a, a direct message um, in relation to um, our coverage of episode 16, you know, our arbitrary law, um, <laughs> you know whatever the the last um the last um twin peak show that we covered on the podcast too um ken said 
Hi, John. Just listened to your latest episode, which I, uh, which, um, which is excellent as always. I'd be super interested to know where Lynch said Laura revealed her father as the killer in the in the least elegant way. Um, I happen to agree with him, and um, I I said you know hey I wish I knew uh, how he talked about it. I just know people I trust have the opinion that Lynch wasn't pleased about the actual way that Laura's whisper was spoken aloud and on film, and he says. I see. Well, I've always felt the same way. I think I've expressed in the groups before that I'm almost resistant to considering that episode canon. I dislike it so much, even though it's still, even though it clearly is canon. Still, for me, it's so unlynchian that I'm inclined to feel that he didn't have much to do with how that episode turned out. And then I shared some frustration. The diary entry from episode 16 drives me bonkers how off-brand it is, and I'd love to throw it to the curb, but it can also be filed under unreliable narrator jumping to conclusions, just like Dale's logic here. So I guess if I, I guess it can stay anyway. I don't dislike the episode per se, but it's way messier than I was expecting to see for such a loved episode. And then Ken says, it, it just feels incredibly rushed. Not just the pacing, rushed through the writing, which wouldn't be so bad if it weren't such a critical episode. I mean, I don't care if Slaves and Masters is badly written, but this episode needed to be handled with care. And then I say, yeah, amen. It, I, I think it's also showing how it's a product of three authors. And, you know, like just... You know, it, with the with the speed of network production, you know, having three authors taking on scenes and then like, you know, it, it doesn't really have time to get massaged into, um, you know, working the best with itself. Uh, that's all I meant there. Ken, Ken also said about the, um, you know, Ray Wise villaining and everything. Uh, he said, it's not scary at all to me. It's more cartoonish and exaggerated, whereas Frank Silver's uh, whereas Frank Silva's readings always freak me out. And I brought up how, you know, that makes sense. It goes with what Tim Hunter said about how he directed Bob a little bit more loudly than Lynch. And, you know, Ken, Ken says again, of course, most of the episode's problems stem from the basic fact that they're trying to answer the unanswerable. Obviously, part of the blame goes to ABC for this, but I also think more creative writing could have satisfied ABC's requirements while also preserving at least a small amount of mystery. My favorite E.E. E. Cummings poem has a line I love. I'd rather learn from one bird how to sing than teach 10,000 stars how not to dance. For me, this episode teaches stars not to dance. It overreaches in its effort to solve everything. He'll, he'll go on and um, continue. You know, th that's a big part. Um, the absolution of Leland's guilt is also a big part of his problem. Um, he says, I even hate that Cooper directed him into the light, and sometimes I wonder if his doing so was the thing that ultimately led him to being Bob. Like if, like if leading a child rapist and murderer into whatever form of heaven the show's creators imagine isn't a form of embracing evil, I don't know what is. I can't help but feel like the emphasis on Leland's clear guilt in Fire Walk With Me was Lynch course-correcting what he saw as a mistake on the part of the other writers in this episode. Obviously, part of the greatness of Twin Peaks is the lack of clarity in what's supernatural versus what's metaphorical. That's the tension the distance between Mark Frost's vision and Lynch's vision creates. And it's that same tension 
that built the show's foundation. So I'm not saying the show needs to come down clearly on one side or the other as far as the level of Leland's own responsibility. I'm saying it should have done a better job in this and and the following episode of playing on the mystery. And then um, he, he'll... He'll basically end by saying, for me personally, this is a low point in the writing, even though I know many people love arbitrary law. I can't help but think what its script would have been like had Lynch written it. And honestly, I tend to kind of wonder myself. Yeah, I mean, obviously Lynch was so hurt that he was kind of avoiding the whole thing at this point. But um, yeah, I mean, the way it comes out in Fire Walk With Me, where it's a lot more... Um, ambiguous who's in the driver's seat of leland all the time yeah i mean it's um yeah i mean i i, I think um ken kind of explained a little bit of it for what i was trying to say about <laughs> with paul too but um it, it's funny that um they both have such polar um polar opposites to how to handle the whole thing and um yeah i mean i i would say right there that there is enough ambiguity if there can be, um, you know, both sides of this argument, you know, even if you have to get the ambiguity uh, via fire walk with me, like a little over a year later. Okay, so um, the next thing I'm going to bring up is um, over on Twitter, we've got new slang 58 asking me to skip ahead a little bit. <laughs> and, um, you know, the, the quote is, what are the two birds Cooper is trying to kill with one stone? And, um, you know, I mean, obviously I'm going to be going into this a lot over, uh, you know, over the next two years or so. And, um, <clears throat> I mean, is it, um, you know, does Cooper think that maybe it's Laura and Sarah because he brings Carrie Page up to Sarah's house? Um, you know, likely. Um, and what does the giant mean? You know, is it, um is the giant meaning that, you know, Cooper and Laura are the two stones, you know, two, two stones of understanding at once. Like maybe both of them can understand at the same time and get them out of their, um, their lodgy situation, whether it's, you know, time loops or, um, you know, <laughs> trauma loops, whatever it is. Um, is this when they both, um, understand something and, uh, realize they're still back in the red room yeah i don't know but as as we go forward with the podcast i will definitely be looking into that a lot more all right i'm going to close out with um with a tweet from tp grammar who um is highly supportive of the whole thing <laughs> that is twin peaks and deep analysis and i appreciate you sir so i gave a two-part question one in which ways if any has conducting your analysis in public changed, sharpened, and or hindered your approach? So um, it makes me triple check absolutely everything, first of all. And, um, you know, it keeps me from being lazy about things, too, because, you know, it's like it's all well and good to, you know, <laughs> slingshot ideas all over the walls or whatever, just to, you know, see what sticks. But um, to... Uh, to have a record following me on this too. Uh, yeah, I mean, it makes me want to, you know, get my, uh, get my game a little bit more in gear. And uh, TP Grammar also asked, also, are there any specific aspects of your interpretive slash analytical approach that you can translate into actionable advice for adolescent students or their teachers? 
You know, to break break it down, basically, I, I'll I'll say, you know, you break down the data into actions and patterns. You look at the results of these within the text, you know, like what happens from these actions. Um, and then once you get all the, the nuts and bolts like that, you know, then ask why and, you know, maybe get an answer, maybe get multiple answers, but... Um, you know, test those answers within the narrative and, you know, test those answers within the production history too, if any is available. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I just pretty much try to do the science where, you know, like you look at what's actually available and then um, try to take interpretation out of it first, just so you're looking at it as, as, um, as clearly and as objectively as possible first. And then you bring yourself to it. And then um, two from Twin Peaks Grammar was, have you ever tweeted something especially memorable or enjoyable? Any story there? I mean, the, the thing that <laughs> I'm going to go to wasn't exactly my account, but um, I, I tweeted out, or I reshared one of my uh, Final Dossier articles um, through the uh, 25YL account. And um, that tweet was basically, um, John Bernardi explores repeated themes of personal accountability and the, oh my gosh, and the struggle between light and darkness in part two of his deep dive of Mark Frost's The Final Dossier. And um, yeah, I mean, what, what was in that article was basically um, like all the light that is shining through. And I equate... Um, Margaret Lannerman and, um, or, you know, Margaret Coulson in that book <laughs> and, um, and, uh, Dr. Jacoby. And I equate like the shovels and all this stuff about, you know, like how to, how to grow light. And, um, you know, some people that are on the side of that. And then I broke down like, you know, the people that are on the side of darkness and, you know, like I, I just like did character studies a little bit like that. And, um, it's pretty much my mis mission statement of, you know, like shoveling yourself out of the shit being, you know, the thing that um, will grow the light. And, you know, the Twin Peaks's um, message at this point is kind of about that. And uh, we got a uh, retweet from <laughs> from Mark Frost. And he said, excellent insights, John, rock on. And, you know, it's like if like that, that kind of that. It, it definitely made me happy to get something like that. And, you know, I'm not going to be all like, you know, it's like, oh, Mark Frost, you know, he, he says that I'm right. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to go all twin perfect on everybody and uh, say my interpretation is the only one. But, uh, you know, like it it um, it was it was pretty gratifying that um, the interpretation that I got from Twin Peaks at this point or at that point, you know, a couple of years ago um, was, you know, received fondly by one of the creators, which means that, um, you know, it's like, I, I feel like I'm in the right neighborhood, even, you know, of, of like finding light is, is a good path to go down, even if it's not what Frost intended. Um, and um, also, I mean, Mark Frost read my work. <laughs> yeah, like uh, okay, yeah. So um, I uh, I I don't think that 
anything's ever really going to top that based on how much I love Twin Peaks and uh, who he is to Twin Peaks. So, uh, yeah, I, um, yeah, it's, um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how else to, to talk about that one. So, uh, yeah, I think, um, I think I'm just going to start wrapping it up. So, um, yeah, we got, we got the sign off. We'll be back for a normal episode next week. And, uh, yeah, you have been listening to the Blue Rose Task Force podcast, a production of Ruminations Radio Network and TV Obsessive Radio. If you resonate with what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review our show. And we would love to connect with you on Twitter at Blue Rose TF Pod, on Counter Social at Blue Rose Task Force Podcast, and Instagram and Facebook at Blue Rose Task Force. You can find me at JPB underscore Little Green on Twitter and John underscore The underscore Peaky on Instagram. Visit Ruminations Radio Network for additional great shows such as Oh God It Hurts, that's HZ, and Ruminations of Red Rum. And join all the hosts from Ruminations Radio Network, myself included, on our Discord channel, Ruminations Radio Cafe. Find any number of classic 25YL Twin Peaks articles and content on many other TV shows at tvobsessive.com and 25yearslaterside.com. And we'll see you next time as we cover episode 17, the 18th overall episode of Twin Peaks. Until then, listeners, I'll see you in my dreams. I wish you the best of luck.